Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the podcast for the 21st century for military spouses, by military spouses, about military spouses and their world. Welcome to another edition of the critically acclaimed, always fresh, never boring, Military Spouse Spouts. Here's your host, Susan Reynolds, and co-host, Dave Etter. That's you, Susan. Is it me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, awesome. Um, this morning got away from me, you guys. I don't know what happened. I was, like, wandering around the house. I watched This Is Us. I had a good cry because, man, that show gets to me. Oh, my uh, gosh. I love that show. Uh, I've been helping Steph get ready to go to get – she's heading off to CQ right now. Bye. She's got – she has to be the person in charge. So, yeah. I like love that. Love I like that. And then my coffee is sitting in my microwave right now, reheated, and so if I don't go and get it soon, it's going to continue to beep at us, and that's really an annoying sound. Um, well, but... I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you what. Tell us what we got for online for the show, and we'll play a commercial, and then we'll k- jump into it. That could give okay. you 30 seconds to go get coffee. I love you, Dave. Okay, <laughs> so today we have the most awesome guest, and I'm really excited about it because I have been very slack lately about booking our guests, and I hate it when I go through this phase where I'm like super on top of things, but super not. Um, right. And so, yeah, I got to get back on top of things. But today okay. we have Anna. We have Anna on our show. <laughs> and Anna is one of my most favorite military spouses on the planet. I love Anna. And Anna decided to do something really cool this summer going into fall, but mostly in the summer. Uh-huh. Um, and since we just hit fall, it was really this summer. Um, she went on a tour of our country. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. With her, with her blog called Not a Pedestrian Life. And I, first of all, I love the title of that because I think that's mm-hmm. a really great title, Not a Pedestrian Life. But she went on this tour. She, you know, hopped on a train, went on a tour and started looking around our country and seeing all that this country has to offer. And I just, I don't know, there's something very cool about that. Well, we'll bring her on. We'll bring her on right after this commercial. Okay. When I'm with the fleet, I'm known as Petty Officer Lopez. But at home... Honey, can you get this down for me? I'm just Tony, and that's fine with me. We know home is at the heart of every military family. That's why we founded Armed Forces Insurance, to protect the property of our fellow servicemen and women. Call 1-800-633-2006 for a no-obligation auto, home, or renter quote. Or visit www.afi.org. At Armed Forces Insurance, our mission is you. And we're back. We're back with Spouse, Spouse Episode 61. And here's Susan to Hello. introduce our guest. So this is my dear friend, Anna. Well, and Dave's dear friend, Anna. And her name is Anna. <laughs> Anna Rabe. Anna Rabe, and you, um, yeah, well, give us a little bit of background because I know a little bit about what you do. You are from Australia and you served in the Australian Army or Air. Did they, I don't actually know what all the branches of service they have in Australia. So I'm sorry. Hi. Hi. It's okay. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Hi, Dave. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, there are three branches. We actually don't have um, our army does effectively what your Marine Corps does. So we have the Royal Australian Air Force, the Royal Australian Navy, and um, the Australian regular regular army, or just the Australian Army. So okay. that's the one I served in. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool. But it's funny because when I talk to Marines, they get really excited because they know that our army does a lot of what the Marine Corps does here. So this is a lot of. Yeah, a lot of camaraderie. I, I, I like that. The Marines love it when I tell them that that's right. Well, I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Now, does your Navy do a little bit about what a little of what our Coast Guard does too, or is yes, that a whole separate? Fact, it's, no, entirely. So our Navy does all of what the Coast Guard does here. Um, we have slightly different rules when it comes to um, our active duty military serving in emergencies. So when we have hur- the equivalent of hurricane cyclones, um, our military actually does go and assist. Um, so it's, oh, I like we that. We just have different rules. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and well, with Australia being an island in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Yeah. There's well, <laughs> That's exactly lots right. of, We're coast. Kind of on our own. So yeah. we make it work. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing actually. Our equivalent of FEMA um, around the time of Katrina, we had a really bad cyclone as well um, called Larry, and our, they appointed the head of the rest, the recovery task force, and it was actually a just retired general. Oh wow! So I can't necessarily see that happening. And then he ended up actually becoming a governor general. Which oh, is our okay. head of state. So really, and, really interesting man, Peter Cosgrove. And the cyclone's name was Larry. Yeah, Larry. That's just not know. an imposing name. Okay, Larry is the guy you hang tell you, out it was with. A pretty, it was a really bad cyclone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Larry is not that kind of a guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and here you know, have this destructive kind of cyclone like named Larry. Yeah, he seems like your mate. He seems like you'd come over yes. and have a beer. Yes. That's, That's probably why it was a Larry. bad cyclone. That's probably why it was <laughs> yeah. a bad cyclone. He wanted to be called Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, yes, he didn't Dave. want to go by Larry. He wanted to be Lawrence. You're right. That's awesome, Dave. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I mean, well, hey, think about it. We're going to be super speak. American up in here for you today, honey. <laughs> Hurricane Susan. Please, Hurricane please. Susan would just be, you know, kind of, eh, okay, it's a hurricane, but go with Hurricane Susie. I think you'd be pissed. Oh, yeah. I I wouldn't be. I'd want to be Hurricane Susan. That's yeah. right. Not Susie. Hey, has there yeah. been a Hurricane Susan? We should look that up. I want to know. I don't think there has been, but I will tell you guys this. This is so terrible. My dad got so excited because he's like, yay, there's a hurricane named after me this year. He's like, that's so cool, right? He got all excited until he saw the destruction of the hurricane, Hurricane Harvey. And then he went, oh, oh I'm really sad about that. That's a terrible thing. He's like, that's terrible. I'm so sad that I was excited by that. Yeah, you kind of wouldn't want to be named Irma right now either. I can imagine that's not the best feeling at the moment. I remember when we were stationed in Nebraska and there was a Hurricane Carl with a K. And my neighbor spelled his name Carl with a K, right? And we were sitting outside barbecuing one night. And I was like, and I said, hey, did you see that Carl killed a few people down in Mexico? Oh and, no! 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 And I didn't. <laughs> it, I didn't say Hurricane Carl. Like his wife turned around and she goes, "No, he was at work today. I don't know how he was down in Mexico killing people." <laughs> he, oh my god! She's like, unless he's bad, not yeah. really a recruiter and he's been lying to me for two years. <laughs> oh no! That is so. Or I and and if you say Carl with a K, all I can think of is Carl Malden going, hmm, Hurricane with a big nose, got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Carl was so excited that his that there was a hurricane with the K, right? He was all excited until he yeah. saw the destruction and saw that people had died. And then he was like, I'm really sad that that's what I did to people. And I'm like, well, it's not really you, Carl. You're sitting here in Nebraska. It's the hurricane named <laughs> after you. Yeah, Nebraska. Come on, think about it. If we had anything like that, it's called a whirlwind. Oh my gosh, the tornadoes! The tornadoes! <laughs> terrible. My parents, speaking of traveling around the country, my parents actually um, were here for three weeks. Um, after just after I got back from my trip, my parents landed in the U.S. for the first time. Um, so my accent is stronger than it was before. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but having my parents yeah, around tends to do that. Um, but, you know, they really wanted to see some of the country. So we gave them, a, you know, our second vehicle because living on base, my husband can walk to work and all that kind of stuff. So they took his car, but we looked at the map and tried to figure out, well, where could they go um, from where we're based in New Mexico? And there is so much natural disaster happening here in the U.S. this summer that it was like you can't go anywhere northwest because of all the fires or yep. the north. There is just so many fires happening. It's horrific actually yeah yeah like eight or nine massive areas and then obviously the hurricane hurricane harvey had just come through and irma was sort of threatening to come through and they really wanted to see a lot of farmland anyway so they went from new mexico up to the eastern part of colorado but they said it was so smoky they didn't even go to the west of colorado it was just too full of smoke um, from those fires and then they went east they went to um kansas they went a little bit into Oklahoma and they traveled through the northern part of Texas 
and then back. And people laugh because they did the whole like kind of east to west to east of of Kansas and had an absolute blast because for them seeing all the farmland was kind of a, a fun thing. But we looked at the map and honestly, I'm really glad that's what they wanted to do because it was really hard for them to drive somewhere this summer and not end up kind of running into a natural disaster. It was it was it's been, been a, crazy. It's been a tough summer. I mean, we've had, mm. you know, we've been fortunate here on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, you know, this time last year, we were already hearing uh, grumblings about Matthew and Hurricane Matthew. Okay, so this is what's so crazy is I live two hours inland. I'm not on the coast, yeah. right? I'm in this region of North Carolina that's called the Sand Hills. And it's because our soil is incredibly sandy here. I'm not sure how they make anything grow around here. That's crazy to me. And I, I'm like, God bless you farmers and figuring this one out all these years because I think I would have given up, right? But they are, they are persevering and they're making it happen. We had such a rainy summer last year. And then right before the week before Hurricane Matthew hit, we had in Fayetteville 20 plus inches of rain fall in 24 hours. And between Whoa. all of the ground saturation and that rain, then when Hurricane Matthew got us a week later as a Category 1, we were done for. We just, we were done. We couldn't sustain, I mean, thank goodness these farmers have insurance, crop insurance, because they lost all of their insurance. I mean, they lost fields last year of crops. Um, the, we had, you know, pig farms and, and cattle, you know, just, I mean, they did what they could with rescuing them, but not everyone was able to rescue, you know, their, their livestock. It was, and then we had Lumberton, North Carolina, pretty much get wiped off the map. And I mean, it was, I think they had what, five or six buildings still standing after the floodwaters receded in, in Lumberton. It was, it was, it was devastating. It was the saddest. I mean, I've seen, I've been looking at the pictures from Irma and Maria and Harvey and that devastation, it really, well, it, first of all, it brings back a lot of unfortunately bad memories for me from when we had the tornadoes come through here a few years ago and we lost our home. And so I understand what people are going through. I get that a tornado is different, but it's still a level of, dist- of natural disaster where you're having to pick up the pieces of your life again. Yeah. And you're just sitting there going, okay, well, what do we do next? And it's well, sad and, and it's it scary. Up, and then with the yeah. fires it, and. It brings up a lot too, because I know that at least for us, like we're not super close, but they were definitely doing recalls to make sure that none of the active duty members had family in affected regions. And some did, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so they were like looking at, at least from here, like how to get them back and what to do. But then at the same time, I know that some of the bases that were not necessarily directly affected, but that they were worried about planes and they needed to get planes out of there. And, you know, if you're a family that's not necessarily, has not necessarily experienced that, I do feel sometimes like we need to be doing a better job of preparing each other. Um, And whether that's explaining, hey, if this happens, you're probably not going to be able to be with your spouse. Yes, we know that you have two children, but your spouse may need to take a plane or take a, you know, a vessel or, or take a vehicle um, to some other location. Uh, and I think that's yeah. something that's very different to what, what people who are not military connected experience when it comes to those disasters, you know, unless they're also dealing with, you know, law enforcement or, or medical. Yes, exactly. Or something as well. Yeah. I mean, they, they also understand this same um, challenge, but yeah, I feel like we could probably be doing a better job of educating each other as to what to expect in these things. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's yeah. one of those things that, um, so during hurricane Matthew, Jeremy was working, um, at the airfield weather station here, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Which cool. meant that Jeremy wasn't at home with us when yeah. we lost power for those few hours. When I had a very anxious and scared little boy, um, just clinging to me, and 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 he's asking, you know, when is Daddy gonna be home? I don't, I don't know when my Daddy's gonna be home. And I was like, I don't either, baby. But we're gonna be okay. We're safely in our home, and we're gonna do the best we can. And if something happens, we know how to get the kitty cats in their carriers and mommy and Ian can get to safety. We'll be okay. I promise you that you have mommy. Yeah. And, and, but I can tell you, he was, I mean, it was very, 
because it's so loud. That's the other yeah. thing. It's loud. So it makes it even more scary, you know? And, um, and so I, you know, that was, it was not the easiest, but it, we made it through and, and we did our, my street was spared, but I can tell you just two streets away from me down the hill, whew, those houses were all abandoned the next day. I mean, people were just gathering what they could and waiting for insurance to come by because their houses had five feet of standing water in them. Oh man. Oh yeah. Yeah. And one of them, I'll never forget this. One of them, one of the houses, it was a military spouse and her husband was deployed Mm. and they lost their house. I mean, there was, it's a split level and the bottom level had seriously five plus feet of water in their house. And she just had to gather what she could and, and thank God her parents live close <laughs> because, yeah, you know, I mean, she was very lucky that she has family nearby, but she was, you know, on her own and um, with her kids Definitely. going through all that. Definitely. So, oh, yeah. It's really, it's really, it's not an easy time to go through those things. Okay. But let us talk about what sparked this need to do your great American tour. I'm calling it the great American tour. Okay. Well, I, I feel like that. The, I called it the American, I, but I don't know. Yeah, I called it the American identity tour, but I like that. Okay. So, um, what, okay. So, you know, when, and, and Dave, I don't know if you have this list as well. Maybe you do. So, you know, I always try to keep a, a list of things that if another deployment were to come up or another really long TDY were to come up, um, I would have a list of things that I would try and tackle or, or kind of grand adventures that I would plan to go on. And, and I have to admit, this is, you know, some of the things that are on my list may not be on other people's list because I, I don't have kids. So that kind of like you know, a bucket list, kind of like a bucket list. I mean, I know that, um, you know, one of Jessica Hall from Next Gen Millspouse, she learned how to drive a stick shift during this deployment, I think for, for her husband. But um I am working, so I kind of developed this idea of this trip around the U.S. And, and there were lots of things that sparked this idea. I love to travel on trains. I've done it a lot in all sorts of um, places. You know, Dave, I'm sure you've taken, have you taken trains in Germany? Oh, yes. Trains yes. in Germany is amazing. Yes. Oh, so yeah, I've sure taken is. trains all over Europe, and, of course, I've taken trains a lot in Australia to travel I thought, you know, I, people talk about Amtrak, but they don't talk about it with the same, like, level of excitement as you do when no. you're talking about trains in Europe. No, but I because... thought, okay, hang on, let me, like, really try and understand this. And so I planned out this route, and I kind of, like, I didn't plan it entirely, but I set it aside. And then, of course, you know, we get a new assignment, and we PCS, and... Uh, no deployment happens, which is great. I'm really excited about that. I don't want one to happen. But I looked at my plan and went, oh, well, that's kind of sad. So <laughs> then at the beginning of the year, I was planning my year, and I actually kind of just turned to my husband and said, hi, oh, you know, I really still want to do this. And he just said, well, why don't you? Just do it. Like, you, what are you waiting for? So I am... Um, I needed to plan it so I could work along the way, and um, I planned out a journey that ended up taking me to 11 cities, 29 states, um, over 150 hours on trains, two planes, one Greyhound bus, and 11 hours in a car across 28 days. Um, <laughs> and there you go. That, so, and it was really about asking this question. So that was the other part of it was I really wanted to ask this question as I saw more of America what does it mean to be American? And also what would it mean for me to become an American? Because during the journey, I became eligible to apply for U.S. citizenship. So it wasn't just a rhetorical question. This is actually Congratulations. A working through. Well, they're very, very, very backed up right now. So um, oh. in fact, I actually, I had to go to the immigration office last Monday and get a sticker, sorry, sticker, a stamp in my passport um, to mean that I'm legally uh, a green card holder for one more year because they are so far behind. I've got my current petition been pending for 14 months for my permanent green card. So, um, yeah, it's been a it, – that's actually the other reason too. I have not been able to travel outside the U.S. as much as I would like, and I have a massive – I had a massive, massive case of wanderlust happening by the beginning <laughs> of the summer. I was like, I just – I have to travel. I need to do this. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, we budget, I budgeted, I was able to use something that 
it's not very widely used, and I would really encourage a lot of military families to check this out. It's something called Amtrak Rail Pass. They have them for different uh, lengths of journeys or different number of sectors. Um, I actually think it's something that could work for families who are doing cross-country PCSs because you're not limited on the amount of luggage you take. Um, and so this could be something that could be fabulous. And cost-wise, I think it would work out to be similar, perhaps even less than, than driving. So if you can put your car on one of those auto, the auto trains across the country, it may end up being um, really cost-effective, especially if you get a sleeper car that allows the children to, you know, allows the children to move around a little. Certainly much more comfortable than driving that and, kind of distance. And what, what was it called again? It's called an Amtrak Rail Pass. They have them for, like, you can take a certain number of journeys within seven days, 15 days, 30 days, or 45 days. And I did the 30-day one. And it allows you to take up to 15 sectors, which is really just, like, from the time you get on a train to the time you get off a train. Um, and what that, what that, the cost of that for the one that I did was around, um, I think it was around $700 for 15 sectors across 30 days. So that was my base level. And I could actually, you can actually buy that a year, almost a year out. So, so once I had paid for that, that meant that my travel, you know, I had done my base level travel. And then on top of that, for certain sectors, I did do sleeper car, which does cost more. Um, and I kind of was strategic about when I did that. So if I had right. an overnight train, I did do the sleeper car because I wanted to be able to write and I wanted to be able to work. And also, you know, I wanted to be able to sleep. It's really hard to, it is hard to sleep in the, um, the kind of regular cars. It's just a lot of people and yeah. So it's a cattle um, car. Yeah. I mean, it's face it's, it, it's cattle yeah. car. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now here in Germany, I mean, I've, I, I rode Amtrak when I was a kid and, yeah. um, <clears throat> I did Greyhound bus and I, you know, I, I like Greyhound bus. I just don't, not particularly crazy about the smells of the people, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it is what it is by train was, you know, hit or miss the, 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 yeah. the quality of our tracks in the United States does not match what like Germany does. Everything is so flat. Everything is so, it is such a smooth ride. Prices are really, really great. They're cheap. Uh, yeah. No, exactly I, right. Every time that's I ever look I at doing... The, that's why I recommend the time, rail pass because most of mm -hmm. the segments that I took, if you just did those alone, so I worked out, I ended up with a per segment price of around 50 to $60. That's um, not so that bad. Yeah, it's great. So including, you know, trips like from New Orleans to Atlanta or Atlanta to D.C., that's all I was paying. If you bought that ticket alone, it might be $200. That's a lot of money. Whereas, you know, that same, I could buy that less, far less than that. I could go from London to St. Andrews in the first class car in the U.K. for that same price. Yeah. So, you know, and that would be the price just for, for um, you know, the regular coach class. So I, I do feel like there's a lot to be, uh, there's a lot that they could improve. I think one oh, of yeah, the biggest yeah. issues with Amtrak is that the freight companies are the ones that own the tracks. And so right. you, it can lead to some extreme delays. I mean, my worst, I had some really, because you can never rely on Amtrak to be on time either, right? So it's definitely no. not a trip if you have to be somewhere at a particular time, unless you've got about a six to eight hour window. Um, but my worst delay was a six-hour delay, and it was a very unpleasant delay. Yeah, the, the, the biggest complaint yeah. I had with Amtrak was the fact was just just the price. I mean, yeah. I can deal yeah. with the fact that the, the the rails were uneven because you know yeah. again it's commercial freight and things like that. But you know, I, I was I would spend the same amount of money to go to the same dist, same uh, destination on an airplane as I would on Amtrak. Yeah. But I didn't know about this rail pass thing, so I yeah, it's so, worth me you know, looking a look only, at. Yes, it was only in doing the research, and I have to tell you, it's actually like I can't believe they don't talk about it. Advertise because it would get more people <laughs> on there. Yeah, they don't. Um, so what I will tell you is, it, it isn't that easy to find information about it. It is on their website, but it's like hard to figure out how to book it. So the best way to do it is really um, what I did was there was a great email address on their website that actually they say you can only use if you're international. 
Turns out that's not true. Anyone can use it. And I emailed my itinerary to that email address and, and the lovely customer service agents on the other end of my email just did amazing things for me. They gave me lots of options. They gave me different prices. They reserved things for me so I could make decisions later. It was a lot easier to do it that way, but it took some hunting to figure out how to do that. It's really not that clear, but if you know about it, you can call and ask them about it and they will tell you all about it once you know that that's what you're looking hmm. for. So, but yeah, I recommend it. I think it could be really cool. There were families from Europe that I did run into traveling, um, but mainly, you know, it was a, over the summer, a good mix of, of Americans of all kinds. Um, you know, I ran into quite a few grand, grandparents who were kind of on their way home from visiting with grandchildren somewhere and, and the train was the easiest way for them to do it because they, you know, they either didn't like air travel or they just wanted the kind of uh, the experience. They wanted the the journey to be part of their, their trip. So that certainly was the case for me. The, the journey of having the landscape go past the window is <laughs> part of the experience. I feel like I, I definitely see more. Well, and I don't like to, to travel by plane anymore. It's, it's not fun yeah. anymore. You know, it's really yeah. overpriced and everyone's super rude and yeah, yeah true. you know, it's it just, you know, I, I, I do not know how to pack light. So I always have to pay, you know, baggage fees um, and I'm learning, but still it's, it's not easy. And, um, and then I trap, now I'm traveling with a seven-year-old who really wants to go on an airplane, but at the same time, it's one of those things that it's, I just don't enjoy it like I used to. It used to be fun. And now it's now it's not fun. And everyone's super rude and the airlines are combative with the customers and and I don't enjoy that. So I I know we've looked into train travel, but Dave is right, the prices over here when compared to what I paid when I was living in Europe. I mean, I remember I used to go to this little tiny train station in one of the villages outside of Kaiserslautern. And I can't remember the name of the village now. And they had a train station, right? And I would go up to Heidelberg to visit a friend of mine who used to live up there and she would come and get me at the train station and we would hang out in downtown Heidelberg all day long. And then we would, I would hop the train back. Right. And that's what I would do for my day. Seriously. It was great. And it would cost me, I think round trip 20. And this is back when we, Still had Deutschmarks, so twenty marks round trip, right? Yeah. That was it. You just can't okay. beat that. You can't no. beat that. It's like it's like mm-hmm. going from Cambridge to London will cost you less than ten pounds. Will cost you about ten pounds. Yeah, you know, it's like you you just can't. There's nothing like it. And yeah, it's very, um, you know, unless you can find these deals, they do do a military discount. But mm-hmm. once again, they don't advertise that either, really. Um, and I haven't yet quite figured out how to make that work well. Um, I did run into a couple of military families on my trip um, because they were traveling from like El Paso to, I think they were stationed near New Orleans or something. And so it was just the easiest way for them to do it with children. Um, but yeah, it, it is way too expensive. And uh, But you know, Dave, I was really surprised because the first train the definitely the first class carriage because I kind of basically traveled in all of the different classes during my trip because there was just so many trains and sometimes I you know ended up but the first class carriage is really very similar to the Eurostar carriage so you know similar amount of room you know you've got outlets all that kind of stuff and and I always enjoyed traveling Eurostar when I got a chance so I enjoyed that I enjoyed being able to have um you know, connected, although I was pretty organized with having, um, I got this great little like power outlet um, thing that, that uh, rotates to change direction based on what you need. Um, so I could make it go kind of 90 degrees or um, it, it would go 180 degrees basically um, to let me kind of plug into any, any power outlet. Um, I also oh, had some really right, right. good battery charges that I used as well that made life a lot easier trying to work on the road. So. I like that. That's smart. Yeah. And, I, and since like I that. have a, a little person in my house, a tiny human yeah. who adores trains, adores yes. them. Yes. <laughs> I know we have to do this at least once, if not, uh, you know, and 
And I know that when we were looking, I was looking last summer at trying to, um, uh, before Jeremy got home, I was looking at trying to do a train ride around, you know, from Fayetteville to someplace in North Carolina. And the downfall was, though, is where these train stations let out, you still needed to either get a taxi or an Uber to get to where you needed to be in the city, right? Yeah, that, mostly that is true. Um, and that's so that makes that's very things... different from Europe as well. You know, in yeah. Europe, you you know, the train station is in the middle of whatever city, and that's one of the yeah. advantages. You go from city center to city center, um, and that is not the case here uh, because they yeah. were l- have largely been built kind of on the edges of cities, and and yeah, you you do yeah. end up needing Ubers. I. I became a bit of an expert on Ubers and Lyfts. That's something I didn't talk about. I did take a lot of Ubers, a lot of Lyfts. Um, you know, I only took one taxi my entire journey, and it was the most horrible taxi ride I've had in a really long time. The car was pretty much falling apart, and I didn't realize until I was inside. And if I had realized, yeah. I would have said, no, we're not doing it. Um, yeah, it was really, really bad. Um, the Whereas, strangely, because Uber has their rate and Lyft have their rating system, you know, people's cars tended to be ch- tended to be cleaner because they get rated on these things. Whereas, anyway, so I kind of, I did that and I, and the other thing that I like about those two, uh, two different um, apps as well is traveling on my own. When you travel using one of those apps, there's a record of where you were and who you were with. And, and as someone traveling alone, that's, you know, just a security, um, a security precaution that I appreciated. I really tried to, you know, I've traveled in a lot of places alone and this trip, I didn't necessarily have any experiences where I felt unsafe, but yeah, I always think about those things. Well, Uh, no, and you have to, you do. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, if I'm traveling alone with my kiddo, I think about that too, because I think, okay, well, not to be mean to him, but I know how, how unhelpful he can be at times, you know? And it's like, could you please just carry this one thing? Because if, if you see, I can barely open the door because I have everything in my hands. So yeah. let's learn to help. And so yeah. I have to, th- I, when I travel alone with him, I have to think about things like that. I have to make sure that everything can get shoved in his backpack and he can wear it. So he has a hand free to hold on to me. Yes. Yeah. You know, 100%. that's the thing in large crowds. He's, he, he will get scared and he won't ask anyone for help. And I need to make sure that he sticks with me. And so that means I also have to have a hand free to hold his hand. Yeah. While that, trying to and so be, get into a backpack, I'm not going to bring it. <laughs> yeah yeah I think so and I you know so when I was planning even same kind of thing like I wanted to make sure that and I always make sure I can carry everything I had but I really packed light for this trip so I really took I took one rolling bag that's the that's small enough to go actually um, like the smallest cabin size uh, rolling suitcase I had one of those I have a rolling backpack that I can wear on my back or I can roll. And that had all my kind of tech gear in it, um, my laptop and, and other things. And then I had a handbag and I actually have my, and I will plug them if it's okay, but our Rubida Auto um, bag. Um, I know a brand ambassador for them, but I wanted to tell you about that bag because I wasn't at the time. Um, that handbag is amazing. It's like made of like the duck canvas. So it's made of like the uniform material. And I took it with me on this journey because it's my go-to everyday bag, but I love it. It's big enough for me to put like a tablet in it. It's nice enough that I took it with me for my meetings on Capitol Hill, but yet also like it went everywhere with me on this trip. I didn't have anything else. And I'm not a high maintenance kind of person. I'm pretty low maintenance. And I love the fact that this bag is so durable. So, you know, if you have to take a handbag, because normally on a journey like this in the past, I haven't really taken a handbag. I've just like you know, shoved everything in because it's just, I think of it as a waste of space. But on this trip, those are the three go-to things I had. And then I just had a, like a little tote bag that folded up really small. I had it in the front of the, one of the bags. And that was really, in total, it was, it weighed like 60 pounds completely. Yeah. So, um, and that's all I had with me. And I tried to, as I collected little things along the way, because I collected, you know, um, just little things to remember certain parts of the journey by, um, you know, I, I kind of you collected postcards here and there. 
Um, I did, but I don't like buy. Oh, how do I put this? I don't buy kitschy kind of stuff. It's not really me. So it tends to be more like a postcard of a work of art that really inspired me during the journey. Or, uh, you know, I got a Roscoe <laughs> magnet. Um, yeah, it's not not necessarily what other people would think of as um, as kind of really touristy. I just, uh, things that I knew would remind me. Uh, when I went to the um, National Archives in D.C., I bought a card, like a postcard card uh, with a quote by um, Justice Kennedy on it. And it just and it talked about the value of the Constitution and how important it was, you know, so it's it's a little different. It wasn't I wasn't buying key rings or uh, I don't know. I used to buy shot glasses when I traveled. Do you have a now, do you have a that, travel collection, Dave? Oh, Not we have the, the shot glass collection. You have, no, yeah, I, I have them from of, like everywhere, but I didn't buy any shot glasses on this. Because I'm an old guy, and because we like to hit all of the the castles, I try to get those those little shields that you you, you nail onto your wooden cane. Oh, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Dave. Those those little shields, the cane oh, yeah, shields of. Like the walking yeah. stick, like the walking stick ones. Yeah, okay. But there's, you know what? They they seem to have gone by the wayside. They, a lot of the places we visited do not have them anymore. Oh. My husband so I'm resorting to myself to go hit these the, the little flea markets, the flow markets around oh, yeah. here, and find old walking sticks that are covered with the shields, and just steal the one, you know, buy the buy the stick. And then remove the ones that we visited, and then look at the other ones. Going, oh hell! Before I can take this off of here, I gotta go visit that place. Oh, I like that. <laughs> That's a good idea, Dave. Um, my husband started collecting kind of uh, stickers from different places to put on. He has, um, we have tote boxes that we use when he's training or racing, when he's running. And so we put, we have different stickers for all of the different national parks that we've visited and different states we've been to. And so I did get him a sticker from Oregon because I know he's been to Oregon a bunch of times when I was there for that. Um, I had an absolute, I went back to um, Powell's, which is a massive bookstore in Portland. And if, if people ever get to Portland, it's my one piece of advice, go to Powell's. Even if you don't love to read, go to Powell's. But children okay. love it. They have an entire room just for children. Um, that has bean bags and all sorts of stuff. They have, it's a lot of it is secondhand books, but they also have some new books, but so many secondhand books. And it's basically my idea of heaven. They also have a really great little co- coffee shop in there as well. Um, I visited there in like 2000, so like 10 years ago was the first time that I went to Pals. And I have literally been kind of hanging out waiting to get back there. It took me 10 years to get back there. It's the same as when I went to New Orleans. I did a combination of revisiting places that I'd been to before and seeing how they had changed and how I had changed and then also visiting some new places. So when I went to New Orleans, I retraced my steps a little and went and found a place that I had had breakfast at in 2001, December of 2001. And I knew this was the place that I had had my first real American hash browns, like the proper <laughs> ones that are on the, yeah, on the grill. And, and I love them. I really like it. It made me fall in love with them. And, and there was a part of me that's like, I have to go back to this place if for no other reason than to figure out, was that just my memory or were they really that good? Um, did I make this up? And it was a really, really quirky place. It's called the Clover Grill, but it took me a while to figure out the name because I had not written the name down anywhere. Um, and I managed to find it and I managed to go there for breakfast one morning and I, it was that good. It really was. It was just as good as I remembered it. The staff were different, but it was just such a fun experience to go back there and revisit a place like that and, and not be disappointed because I really thought I might be disappointed. Um, that can happen. But yeah. But yeah. That can was, happen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It was a really... It was a different experience wandering around New Orleans this this last time. Um, oh gosh, the, the last time I went to New Orleans, uh, to New Orleans, it was pre Katrina. Yeah, no, same for me. Yeah, way, way so, pre Katrina. Yeah, a couple years. Oh gosh, probably three years, four years before Katrina, and um, man, I had a great time. Although I will never forget this. I remember my my mom used to work when she was 
stationed overseas as a DOD teacher, she had um, another teacher friend that worked with her. But in the summer, they would, I mean, like the next day after school was finished, they were on a plane and they were coming home to New Orleans for the summer, right? Mm. And they had one of the oldest apartments in this city. Like this building had been built in the late 1700s, early 1800s. So it was one of those old style apartments that had, you know, the 15 foot ceilings. And it actually at one point had a ballroom because apartments back then were seriously the size of house, like, you know, houses today. Right. Yeah. And so um, they knew I was going to be in New Orleans for a trip, and they invited me to come and uh, meet them and go out to dinner, and and they wanted to take me out, and and it was beautiful and everything. But I'll never forget, we were walking down the street, and I was like, what is that sound? And the man says to me, he goes, oh, those are the big old water bugs. You can actually hear them walking around on the cobblestone. I went, well, that's great. That's awesome. That's that's just spectacular giant water bugs you can hear them walking on the cobblestone <laughs> i may like this city but i do not like that <laughs> so, so it was funny because i have been there during the first time i went i was there during mardi gras this time i kind of went to the louisiana state museum and they actually had a an exhibition about mardi gras with all these incredible costumes from from throughout like the the century basically of or longer of Mardi Gras happening. It was it was a very different experience. It was a little less partying because I was alone, yes. obviously, but a lot more like reflection, I think. And I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of writing in a lot of places, but I did a lot of writing when I was in, in New Orleans. It was a pretty, uh, it was partly because it was the beginning of my trip. So I had lots of energy, um, but also just, yeah, I don't know. It was a really interesting thing. I also got a chance to, um, I obviously went to a lot of Rotary clubs during the trip. And this particular, in New Orleans, I ended up being invited to one of the um, Chamber of Commerce's events. And so I met all of these local business people in New Orleans, which is a pretty cool experience too. And, and got to ask them the question, what do they think it means to be American? Um, so I feel like I got a chance between the trains and, and everything else that I did, I got a chance to ask a really wide cross section of people that question. Um, so I like that. I and I, what did you did? What was the answer that people gave you? What does it mean to be American? Yeah, so I kind of got answers that crossed three different, really kind of could be categorized in three different ways. So the the first answer I got, and and actually someone at that um, chamber of commerce gathering um, said to me. When I asked her the question, she goes, oh, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of the fifth grade answer. Um, and for me, that's kind of like the Sunday school answer. And, and when she told me what she thought that was, she was spot on. And the answer to the fifth grade answer is it means to be free. Um, what does it mean to be American? It means to be free. And what was interesting about that is that when you ask people a little deeper, well, what do you mean by that? And is that your experience? Sometimes the answers get a little complicated. The second main answer I would get is it means to be privileged. I got that answer a lot. It means to be privileged. And what really struck me about that was that I think some of the people telling me that, uh, I would then ask them, so has that been your experience of America? They would often say to me, no, actually it hasn't. Or yes, it has because we have it better off. We have it better than Pakistan or name some other Middle Eastern country. And then the next question I would ask them is, well, have you been to that country? And they would invariably say, no, but a teacher told me that. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. (laughs) So then I started asking this other question, which is, what do you think it would mean for me to become American? And I actually think I got much more thoughtful answers to that (laughs) question. But I would love to know either question. What do do you think? What do you both think? What does it mean to be an American? Yes. Well, after living, think about this. after living in Germany here for the past couple of years and yeah. seeing how the Germans are, I have I have had several epiphanies yeah. on what, what what politics are and how our entire psyche is is developed from the time we are born. We live our experiences we we are shaped by our experiences yep. 
And to be an American versus being a German versus being somebody from Italy versus being somebody from from France, we actually in America we live in a box. We are we live in square shapes. We we deal with square shapes. If it if it isn't at uh, if it isn't perpendicular, it if it's not. Uh, horizontal, it's vertical. It's there's no curves to our mm. existence. Whereas, yeah. like you know, in Germany they stare at you a lot, but you know what? They're not staring at you because they're because they're trying to to judge you. There, it's there's no emotion involved in the staring. They are honestly and deep rooted curious about you. They want yeah. to experience the you by looking at you and reading and watching what you do, but you try that in the United States and you immediately offend somebody. So there's a box right there. Do not yeah. enter my box. Uh, in Germany, they get real up, real close to you because there's no such thing as personal space in Germany. And yeah. that is the hardest thing for me to get used to because I like having that ability to just be able to reach out and, and, and make motions. I talk with my hands. They oh, yeah, don't. me too. No. And because I talk with my hands, I don't want to hit you. And <laughs> I don't want you to hit me when you talk, when I talk with my hands. <clears throat> We're very emotional people, Americans. And so there's passion in what we say. And there's, there's judgment in what we say. And there's yeah. supposition in what we say. And there's spirituality in what we say. Even though we may not realize we're doing it, there's nothing truly factual to an American. <laughs> you know what? Dave, I, I got to tell you. I like that, Dave. I like that. Um, Dave, so I lived in Germany uh, when I was in both elementary school and high school, my, so my formative years. Yeah. Um, and being raised a military kid, being around, you know, what the military offers to people all my life, and then being in a foreign country to top it all off, I have to, I am, I'm sitting here nodding along. I wish you guys could see me. Yes, Dave, that is spot on. And the other thing that I would add into, and I had some German friends tell me this one time, one summer when I was home from college, they kept on talking about how we are exceptional. Right. There's, they said there's just something very exceptional about you all. And it's not that American exceptionalism that we study in school, that what we talk about in our history classes. Right. Where we're going to do that manifest destiny. See, you know, see the shining sea exceptionalism. We're going to take it and we're going to go. That's not what they mean. No, they, because that does not. That's not what exceptionalism means. No, exactly. Right. That's not at all what they're talking about. They they look at us. And and my my German friend told me this. She said, "You're just such a hopeful people. You're so hopeful, and you're so yes. positive, and you're so youthful and exuberant, and you're you're always smiling. Even if there's nothing to smile about, you're still smiling. You're just a, an exuberant nation, and it and it shows that you're a young nation still when compared to European nations, right? I know. And it shows that we're still." Um, I wouldn't say in our toddler phase, but definitely our teenage years, you know, where we have this, this, this honest belief that, you know, we're just, you know, we're just young and hopeful. And, you know, we see all this division happening right now, but the one thing I'm definitely seeing in people and the one thing I'm hearing from people is that they have hope that we will meet from across the lines and across the divide to find a common way again. And, and we will. We do. And we will. That's the thing, Dave. We will. And because we're, I think that there's that, that hopefulness and, and that exu- and exuberance and hope is, best, is the best words I can come up with of what it means to be an American to me. Because we are a very exuberant, almost bubbly nation. Yeah. Bubbly. I mean, and I can't and believe look, I just described our nation as bubbly, but it's true. Well, um, it is. I mean, if you think about what you just said and the things that you pointed out, which is amazingly accurate, is that we are a very, very young experiment. And we've kept yeah. ourselves as an experiment. Whereas 
like, and, and I'm going to again use the German people that I've talked to and that I've studied because I'm a people watcher. I love to watch people and pick things up yeah. and learn and catch that that inner that inner uh, uh, inner being trying to see what what you know what what shapes them, what makes them happen, <clears throat> make it all work together. I see that that they have century upon century of upon upon century of knowledge that they use because yes. they really don't have a choice. It yes, is where they exactly. live. It's, I mean, I walk down the street and I see buildings that are four and 500 years old. I do that in America. It's falling down. I do yeah. that here in Germany. If it's still and around. It's the strongest building here. Yeah. You know, I see, I see castles that are a thousand years old. I can't imagine that in the United States at all. It's hard enough to look at a rock, knowing the rock's been there for a millennium, going, well, that's like more than a thousand years old. I can't really bring myself to say the word thousand because I'm from the United States. But because our government has been set up that every four years we have the opportunity to change, we see a new form of government as according to our current events every four years. Yeah, in we sure do. Europe, they have to change things on a drastic measure, like from fiefdom to monarch to dictator to you know. Yeah. It, there are so many different, but it, it, these these are things that then get measured. How long are you going to do it? It's not for four years. It's for a thousand years. Well, think about England and the Magna Carta that was written in twelve fifteen. Love that stuff. Twelve fifteen. I'm like, yeah. what? That was actually that document was one of the documents our founders like thought about when creating our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. <laughs> they actually were like, well, hey, look at what that what the English did with that Magna so Carta. I that was some a, good stuff. I saw a copy of it because there's a number of copies of it, obviously, internationally that were made oh, around the time. An original, I've seen I've, an original copy when I was yeah, a kid. So I saw an original copy at the National Archives in DC. Yeah. Yeah. Which was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I saw it in of, England when we were part. on a trip to England once when yeah. I was a kid. We had just gotten off the ferry. And um, my mom, you know, my mom was not feeling the best from the ferry in the North Sea. And she was like, hey, can we just walk around a little bit? And there was a sign, you know, Magna Carta in here today. And she said, you've got to be kidding me. Let's go. And there wow. we were. I was eight years old checking out the Magna Carta. That's well, that is very cool. cool. Yes. And my brother, of course, he was four at the time. He's like, what's that? Me, I was like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And me, for as a kid, for the longest time and since I was a kid, and I was very much into volcanoes, I heard, say, heard Magna Carta, and I'm going, Magna Carta, and I'm going, huh? Somebody read yeah. something into lava? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that those answers, you know, whenever I hear someone give the answer, though, Amer- you know, what does it mean to be an American freedom? I'm like, that's kind of a cop-out reason. Yeah. Give more. Give me well, more, I because I know you have more in you. It was funny, because one of the, a couple of the people that answered me that question were um, immigrants like myself. Um, and I say that because I, I had some really good conversations in those Uber and Lyft cars, because I would generally ask the question of the driver. Um, I would ask, you know, what they, you know, I, that I was thinking about whether or not I should become an American citizen and what they thought about it. And they had some really thoughtful answers. Oh, so I one bet. of them said, well, it means to be free. I said, well, is that, you know, your experience? And, and her answer was, well, it's my experience, but it's not the experience of some members of my family and his wife, uh-huh. you know? And so it was, it was a really kind of thoughtful experience. One of my, I had a couple of really interesting conversations about it. One of them was actually with a lady on um, the train from Chicago to where I got off in Colorado. It's a train called the California Zephyr, and it goes over the Rocky Mountains. It's really incredible. Yeah, it it was amazing. And so there was this lady on the train who um, her accent gave her away, much like mine does. Um, it (laughs) It was a Glaswegian accent. And having lived in Scotland, this always excites me that not only can I tell it's a Scottish accent, I knew where in Scotland it was from. That's right. You and I had a region. chance. To, yes, I had a chance to speak with her, and and she had lived in uh, New York State for a number of years. She was married to an American. She had an American-born child, 
and she said that she had made the decision recently to apply for citizenship and I and I asked her why and what had taken her so long and and she said the first thing she said was well the reason why she had decided to do it was quite pragmatic and that was that she really didn't want to be put in a position where she could be taken away from her child um, mm, or even her spouse. Mm, you know, right. But really didn't want to be taken away from her child. So that was the Five first minutes. Reason. And left, given the political oh. context lately, it felt very much like that's a possibility. Yeah. And then the second thing she said to me, because I said to her, well, how do you feel? Because I know that, you know, the Scots, like the Australians, very much value their um, national identity. And she said, you know, you can't think of it as taking away or giving up part of who you are. It has to be about embracing something additional that shapes who you are. And in oh, some I like ways, that. I feel like that's the American project, right? It, it has to be about embracing something additional that shapes who you are. Um, and it, that really helped me because I was really, I had, that had been a question I had been struggling with. But yes, Dave, I know that we're really running out of time. So <laughs> well, we need to play our last commercial and then we're yes. going to... Uh, tie it up with you and uh, yeah, go from there. Okay. When I'm with the fleet, I'm known as Petty Officer Lopez. But at home. Honey, can you get this down for me? I'm just Tony, and that's fine with me. We know home is at the heart of every military family. That's why we founded Armed Forces Insurance to protect the property of our fellow servicemen and women. Call 1 800 633 2006 for a no obligation auto, home, or renter quote. Or visit www.afi.org. At Armed Forces Insurance, our mission is you. And we're back. We're wrapping it up with uh, episode number 61. We've got Anna Blanche Rabe, and we're finding out about her adventures. And, you know, I, I just had a, a, a thought on what it dealt with insurance. That's another reason Americans are so hopeful, because we've found ways to protect ourselves. Yeah, in insurance, insurance yeah. you know. I, I, I'm brave now. You can go ahead and hit me. I'll sue you, and I have insurance, which will fix my face. Thank you. Go ahead. Hit me. <laughs> I don't know, Dave. I come from a country where, you know, I don't need the insurance to go get my face fixed. But that's okay. I, yeah, it's true. Oh, I mean, you sorry, can just walk in and say, you know, <laughs> you just get what is it? Uh, uh, it's it's um, free medicine, free medical. Yes. Well, socialized healthcare. Yes. So, which yeah. is not socialism, people. This is not the no. same thing. Um, but no. Yeah, no, no, it, no, it's not. You know, everyone is paying into it um, through their taxes. But yeah, it's a. Uh, um, it's a whole different deal, but yeah, I think it's, you know, I, especially having to come back and then having to make an appointment to go get this stamp in my passport. Um, it's something whereby I, I really, I'm still very hesitant. You know, there was a, an article that came out yesterday about some plans to collect the social media information of both naturalized citizens and people like myself who are green card holders. Um, you know, I think maybe they can get away with it for green card holders, but I'm really going to be interested to see how that squares constitutionally with um, the right one. Yeah, right I was thinking that exact... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, and I've spoken to a few um, naturalized uh, military spouses who themselves were pretty frustrated by this whole idea. Um, I, I'm in a position right now, I swear, they've got every piece of information that they could possibly have about me including information that I'm not sure anyone else would ever want about me. Um, <laughs> but, oh, Lord. Um, and I love my friends to bits, but some of their affidavits were pretty hilarious, describing conversations we'd had. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad at this point because I have that passport. I'm pl we're planning a trip to Australia and New Zealand at the end of the year. Maybe I'll have to come back and talk about that. Yeah, but you'll be, a, you'll be going back there as, as a foreigner instead of as a native. Well, kind of. I mean, especially New Zealand because, you know, uh, my mother-in-law is a New Zealander, but I have never really traveled in New Zealand. So that's going to be that's going to be really interesting. Cool. Um, yeah. But well, thank you for so being on the fun. show today, girly girl. It was great. So We're going to definitely have to have you come back because I want to hear about your new job. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Oh, great week, there we go. It's a teaser for another show. I love it. <laughs> okay, well, we can just dance party now. Yeah. There we go. I'm so, dancing. Hey, everybody, get up. Get up now. Put your hands in the hand.
We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the only podcast worthy of all military spouses, Spouse Spouts with Susan Reynolds and Dave Etter. May the rest of your day, your week, your you time be better time after spending this time with us. Until next time, coffee on. 